We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Oh my gosh, it's Tyler. His Manscaped ads are so good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I know, but today isn't about jokes. It's about love making tips from yours truly. Look, do you think my girlfriend has stuck with me for six years now because of my dashing good looks, amazing family, great grades, and excellent gift-giving ability? Well, yeah. But I also have another trick up my sleeve, or well, down my shorts. This one-inch wonder looks and functions incredibly well due to the use of Manscaped trimming and grooming products. Guys, if your junk is looking a little more Brian Dable's beard and a little less like the top of Brian Dable's head, consider taking care of that. Valentine's Day is around the corner. Get your junkie ready for the funky, and if it doesn't improve your Valentine's Day lovemaking, just remember, it's Gabe Neighbors' fault somehow. Use the code GUILTY for 20% off your next order. Or don't. I get paid for this ad either way. Hey, Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. We are live on uh, Conference Championship Sunday. We're doing this before the game, so, you know, we could be uh, looking at some some more coaching news depending on who uh, wins and who loses today, uh, but should be a fun Sunday. Cannot believe that there is only two more Sundays of football and then it's full-time offseason, which is crazy. Uh, but joining me today are Tyler and Alex. Tyler, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I was finally able to start diving into some prospect film, just a couple of offensive linemen so far. And uh, the Chargers are in a good spot, I think. So I'm pretty pumped to keep looking at those guys moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Alex, you just put up a video on our YouTube channel. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners about that and uh, tell us how you're doing? Yeah, so I did a video on what the Chargers could do at number 13. Uh, in the draft since the last video I did they had the fifth pick so things are obviously very different now 
Uh, so I did a video detailing that and the response to that has been great. Uh, you guys are viewing the video like crazy and I don't understand how that works with the algorithm, but keep <laughs> it up, I guess. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'll be diving into some Slater film uh, for the Patreon this week and I should be doing my mock draft, uh, getting that up tomorrow. So yeah, that's all the stuff that I'm doing. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been really cool to see the response from our YouTube supporters. Uh, you know, it, we started that and kind of just figured that it would be kind of a, a long climb and it definitely is going to be a lot of work, but uh, the outpouring of support so far has been really fun to watch. So we have a great show for you guys today. Uh, really excited to bring an interview to you about our, about the Senior Bowl, which is coming up next week. Uh, ben Fennell of the NFL Network was kind enough to uh, give us some time of his, and, and I had a great time chatting with him about some of the prospects. Uh, spent a good amount of time on the offensive lineman because we know that's a big need for the Chargers this offseason. Uh, so definitely want to tune into that. And then we're going to discuss some of the latest coaching news. Uh, we did have our first coordinator hire. We're still waiting on offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, but uh, Brandon Staley did hire a special teams coordinator. And then we're going to do some uh, awards, which we've been awaiting to. We've been waiting to do these awards <laughs> ever since the coaching news. And so, you know, we've just been pushing it back and pushing it back. So, uh, let's start with the coaching news. Obviously, uh, the Chargers announced the hiring of their special teams coordinator, Darius Swinton, uh, who used to be a special teams assistant for the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers before that. Uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. What was your uh, reaction to the Chargers hiring uh, Coach Swinton? Well, my reaction, like everybody else, was to go, what does his Wikipedia say? But <laughs> my next reaction after reading all of that and his his coaching history was, you know, to all the fans who are all, you know, me, the Cardinals were 18th in special teams DVOA. Like, first, I want you to tell me what DVOA even stands for. And then second, just grow up. Like, come on, guys. The Chargers have had the worst special teams unit in the league, like my entire bachelor's degree. So <laughs> any jump from dead last to NFL average would be, you know, a friggin' miracle. Um, as far as he's concerned, as far as Swinton is concerned, he seems to be like a short term miracle patchwork kind of guy wherever he goes, but he's just never established himself with one place. You know, he finally gets a shot with the 49ers, but you know, they have the dreadful Chip Kelly year and they fire him. So one thing I really like about him, though, is a quote that I pulled from somewhere I totally forgot. I apologize to whoever I'm ripping off right now. But he says, the thing I tell every player is there are only 22 guys that start the game that we can actually call starters and they play special teams. Um, you know, I've yet to see a game that doesn't start with a kickoff or a kickoff return. That's my selling point to a lot of guys. So basically, you know, you're important. Like these special teams guys are so important. And then he goes on to say, you know, I had, you know, Robert Quinn rushing punts when Tom and I were in St. Louis. I forget who Tom is. Um, then you have Emmanuel Sanders, Antonio Brown, and Chris Harris, um, who just won a Super Bowl. That was, I'm pulling the quote, but it's from earlier. You know, with Harris, he, was, he started as a gunner. You know, Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the league, but he began his career returning punts. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this guy with that mentality because, you know, shoot, you know, we think, you know, Austin Eckler and Drew Tranquil really gave themselves a shot to yeah. receive more reps because of how well they played on special teams. So, you know, not everyone is a day one starter who's exempt from special teams like Derwin James. So, you know, let's get the bottom half for this roster going and executing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And like we saw what this team could do with the 20th ranked special teams in like 2018. So in the went 12 and four and made a playoff appearance and got a win. Right. Uh, so if you just have 
better special teams than they have now. I mean, that's really all people are asking for. Obviously, you know, you want to be a top 10 unit at some point that can, you know, prove itself with efficiency, but I'm fine with, you know, if they can get to like 20 this year, I think that would be a decent target because it was really bad last year with people missing blocks and punt coverage uh, or badly just the whole season. Uh, it, It was a nightmare. So really, I'm just looking for better play. And I I totally think his quote about uh, special teamers eventually becoming starters is is what this team needs because you've seen a lot of guys struggle in special teams uh, or, you know, guys who struggled during the season, but did well on special teams, right? Like Nasir Adderley, right. Who did it well towards the end of the season returning. So uh, if you could get more contributions like that, uh, maybe from a Josh Kelly or somebody else, uh, I think that would be a really good start. Yeah, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how this pans out. And obviously, like right now on paper, it does seem like it's a good hire. You know, obviously none of us are going to know how how good of a hire it is uh, until a few years down the road. But, you know, George Stewart, like he, he's he got a, a lengthy career in the NFL and, and he's been he's done a lot of good work with the receivers in the league. But he hasn't coached special teams since he was Anthony Lynn's coach in San Francisco in like the 80s. So, you know, getting getting a coach who... Sorry about that. Uh, getting a coach who has actual special teams experience right now and has been in the league only as a special teams assistant. Uh, I know in Chicago he did work with Brandon Staley uh, with the linebackers, but you know his whole thing in the league has been special teams, and so you know I think this is going to be a good hire. Um, you know we'll see in terms of what this means do for the roster because Tom Telesco let all his really good special teams players go last year, and then. He replaced them with practice squad players and Joshua Kelly and Joe Reed, who've never saw the field. So, you know, I think this this special teams unit, unfortunately, is going to be in for a little bit of an overhaul. We'll have to see. I would imagine a guy like BJ Bellow, you know, his stock kind of goes up because he played really well on special teams. But overall, I think, you know, like Alex said, if they can get to 20th, I'll be so happy this year. Uh, even if they can just get back to 25th, which is what they were in 2018, uh, I think that would be a big step in the right direction for this special teams unit. Keep your eye on Corderall Patterson. See, I finally get to use it, even though Stephen totally <laughs> undercut me on Twitter with that one. I'm sorry, man. I'm so, sorry. I was so happy. I'm like, no way. Anyway, so for those who don't know, Corderall Patterson and Brandon Staley were at Hutch- Hutchinson? Hutcherson? Hutchinson. Uh, yeah, Community College for two years together. Um, Patterson earned, I think, first team all pro on special teams and then the following year on offense um, with Staley. Not that Staley was the guy who was causing that, I guess. But um, and then they both went to Tennessee together, um, although pa- Staley was as a, a graduate assistant, I believe. Yeah. And Patterson was as a you know the guy who ended up being the uh, first round pick. So keep an eye on him. You know, I think if for some reason Adderley goes to be a full time defender, I guess, kind of guy and, you know, kind of like Drew Tranquil was going to do this year. And if Joe Reed is just not Staley's guy, like keep an eye on Patterson. Yeah. Well, and he was in Chicago with Staley and uh, Swinton as well. So there there are some good, uh, there's some good connections there. Um, Like you said, you know, I think Joe Reed can become a good returner. I think Nasir Adderley can do that as well. But I mean, Cordero Patterson is one of the top three or four best returners in NFL history. So uh, I would not be opposed to bringing him in. And, and there's some positional versatility on offense there as well. He played running back this year and receiver for the Bears. So uh, I think that's going to be a, a really interesting name to watch uh, this offseason. 
Yeah, I mean, if if he can just do better than we have been on kicking and Pemberton's, you know, Adderley found something towards the end of the season, as we saw, but like, you know, I don't know how sustainable that is going into next year. So it's very possible they might want a full-time starter. Also, you know, if Jenkins is a free agent and decides to leave elsewhere, then Adderley would probably have to become uh, a full-time safety anyway, right? So, uh, you know, in that situation, then I think you would definitely want a guy like a Cordero Patterson or at least some kind of specialist. Yeah, we saw them with bringing Darius Jennings last year and, and, you know, have some competition. And so, uh, you know, who knows what would have happened if Jennings had made the roster. But, you know, competition is good for everybody. And that's something that Brandon Staley harped on uh, in his press conference. So in, in terms of other coaching news, uh, we we know that the Chargers have interviewed Joe Lombardi, the Saints uh, quarterback coach for their offensive coordinator position. That's a really interesting one. I know everybody wants to point to his time in Detroit. Um, he was the offensive coordinator two separate times, I believe there, uh, including the winless season. Uh, and then he went back with Jim Caldwell and, uh, helped them to their first 11 and five and, and first playoff berth in a very long time. So kind of mixed results in Detroit, but, uh, he spent a very long time in new Orleans working under Sean Payton and with Drew Brees. And so, you know, I, I don't know what offensive coordinator in his third stint would look like, but. You know, he's well-respected around the league, and I think you know there is a little bit of a connection there with Brandon Saley. Shocker, these NFL connections are just all over the place. Um, but Joe Lombardi is an intriguing candidate to me. I don't know if I'm like all in on it or not, but I think it's an intriguing uh, person to bring in for an interview for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think his work, obviously, under Sean Payton has been – uh, pretty good as the quarterback's coach. Granted, I don't know how much quarterback's <laughs> coaching you really need to do with Drew Brees. But yeah. at the same time, you know, he did uh, bring Teddy Bridgewater back last year and has done some work with Taysom Hill, right? Uh, so I think that that's definitely a positive for Bridgewater, not so much on Taysom Hill. But um, <laughs> uh, I think that that's something to look at going forward. You know, maybe he can do some work with uh, Justin Herbert. I think that that's uh, what everyone would want in that kind of coaching hire for the offense. So uh, I, I think it's intriguing, you know, as far as the like 0-16 and 11-5 Lions. I mean, 11-5 is the best Lions have had in a long time. And that yeah. Lions team was kind of thought of to be pretty terrible so like i mean i i don't really hold that against them you know there's been good coordinators that have come from really bad teams previously so like i i don't think that that's something to really worry about and i feel the same way and that's i mean our number one i don't know if it was alex's but most people's number one candidate to get this job was brian dable who didn't really like he was the browns and they weren't really that good and even the chiefs and like at the time he was there they weren't really that good you know, so if we're not yeah. willing to give these guys a second chance or third chance or whatever you're at after, especially after you go to, you know, you work under a head coach who's really, really smart and who's really, really good at what they're doing, like Dable did with Saban and Belichick, you know, then we also shouldn't give like Pep Hamilton a second chance. So, you know, I'm willing to give like, yeah, maybe his time with the Lions wasn't that great, but I'm willing to give him, you know, a shot because, you know, these guys can learn, you know, when, especially when you're working under some really good coaches. It seems like they're going to go the QB coach to offensive coordinator route, whether that is Hamilton, um, whether that's Steichen, who was a quarterback's coach, whether it's Lombardi, or if they're waiting for like Kafka or Dorsey. It just seems like they're going with the quarterback coach turned OC kind of guy. But, you know, I can read Lombardi's Wikipedia page, but honestly, I'm just like, I'm just waiting to see who this OC is before I watch film. Like, I don't know what to expect from some of these guys because A, I haven't watched film on them. And B, like, I don't even know what Staley wants out of these guys yet. So, 
it's kind of a waiting game for me. Like I'm not really particular about which OC they hire. If it's Lombardi, great. Like whoever, um, I just kind of want to know who it is at this point so I can get to figuring out what, what the hell they want out of this coordinator. Yeah. And that's really the main thing is that this offensive coordinator hiring is going to tell us a lot about what Brandon Staley wants to do. Like right now, it seems like he kind of wants to expand on the Kyle Shanahan system based off of uh, his interest in interviewing uh, Kevin O'Connell, as well as potentially bringing up Tom Arth, his former boss uh, from Akron. You know, both of those guys have, you know, experience in the McVay Shanahan system. So that's going to be interesting to watch. I don't necessarily have like a favorite or, or a person that I think would be like the best candidate at this point. I would think that, you know, a guy like Shane Waldron or Kevin O'Connell who were with Staley in LA would be great choices because they already have that relationship with Staley. But, you know, at the end of the day, if we get a person who is aligned with Brandon Staley and, and is in total, you know, communicate in constant communication, excuse me, that's going to be a step up because that really was like, you know, the, the worst thing about the Anthony Lynn staff is that the communication was just off and there was disconnect from the offensive coordinator to the head coach. And we saw situational football suffer because of that. So, you know, the communication needs to be better. And that's something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, speaking in, in of Pep Hamilton and Shane Steichen, they both have interviews this week. Um, Shane Steichen is interviewing with Alex's Eagles uh, and Pep Hamilton has interviewed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and I think the other one is the, the Seattle Seahawks, if I'm not mistaken. Titans. The Titans, that's right. So it seemed, I would imagine that Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco and John Spanos have already had interviews or, or just, you know, sit downs with those two. Uh, and it seems like they're letting them explore their options. And I think that's the right decision. Yeah, I mean, Ken Dorsey, uh, as Tyler mentioned, I, I wouldn't mind that as a name to bring in just because of the work he's done, you know, specifically with Josh Allen. Um, and, you know, that's kind of a way of maybe bringing over Dable without bringing over Dable um, in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I wouldn't mind that. And, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just about the philosophy. And Telesco and Spanos have talked about, like, they sort of want it to be kind of a vertical, like, top one down philosophy is, is the word they use, which is like everything comes from the head coach uh, and everything's communicated well, right, versus with Anthony Lynn, that wasn't necessarily um, their attitude. So I think, you know, even if they were to bring Sykin back, which I wouldn't be in love with, I think with a uh, new coach and a new system, I think he could still do okay with it. Um, Same with Pep Hamilton, but I do think they will ultimately go uh, in a new direction, whether that's Joe Lombardi uh, or somebody else. We haven't really heard many other names, uh, but, you know, I'm really fine with, anyone at this point uh who is going to you know use that kind of mcveigh shanahan system uh and and bring her to the next level so whoever staley thinks that guy is 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 the guy i really want yep well said the only thing i'll add to that is just that i think that people are over hyping pep hamilton i believe just a little bit and it's not that he doesn't deserve an offensive coordinator job um, but some are acting like he's irreplaceable and i just don't think that's the case like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if he comes back, great. Like, I think that means that Staley believes that he can execute his vision. Um, but I really just think there's a lot of guys who can fill that at this point. And I don't think Pep Hamilton is as irreplaceable as some fans have made him out to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and frankly, you know, quarterback development these days, you know, is almost more important to have a private quarterbacks coach, you know, and that's, you know, what Justin Herbert has in John Beck and, and, you know, we've seen all these other guys like Quincy Avery and, and 
all these other quarterbacks coach, private quarterbacks coaches really make a big impact. Um, um, what's his name? Palmer. That's worked with Josh Allen is another Jordan one. Palmer. Jordan Palmer. Thank you. I couldn't remember if it was Carson or Jordan, <laughs> uh, but you know, I, Pep Hamilton is important, right? And he has a great relationship with Justin Herbert and what he did this year was very important for Herbert's development. But, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, they just need to elevate Pep Hamilton as offensive coordinator. And if that's what Staley wants, I'm all for it. Like if, like Tyler said, if the vision aligns, if the philosophy aligns, go for it. But Pep's roots come from Jim Harbaugh. Like Pep's Pep's offensive roots are power, football, double tight, fullback, I formation, pound the rock and establish the run and so this isn't just like a smooth transition like oh pep can learn the kyle shanahan system and do exactly what staley wants i think that's an awkward fit in, in terms of offensive coordinator if he stays on as quarterbacks coach i'm thrilled but i think that he should be given the right to earn other positions and and if he aligns with what the steelers want or the titans want which it seems like he does uh then by all means go ahead and i wish him nothing nothing but the best I mean, the, the Titans and Steelers make a lot of sense for him because the Steelers yeah. uh, will do anything to boost their running game and make Big, Bun, uh, Big Ben's noodle arm throw less. Uh, <laughs> and the Titans will give the ball to Derrick Henry. So, I mean, those are kind of perfect fits. Uh, you know, Miami was uh, another rumored and Seattle was another rumored one. So, like, those are all places that are looking for better run games and, and looking for more stability. So, like those all make sense for Pep Hamilton, uh, Anthony Lynn prior to him being hired in Detroit or even maybe uh, Shane Steichen. Yeah. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. And, and, you know, Anthony Lynn getting that job in Detroit, it's going to be really interesting to see how that whole team pans out. It seems like Dan Campbell is just trying to get a bunch of tough guys. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, I wish that I wish Anthony Lynn nothing but the best, but they're in for quite a long rebuild once they trade Matt Stafford. Uh, which kind of you know shook up the league yesterday, and that's something that I can't wait, dude. This quarterback offseason is going to be insane, and nuts. I cannot wait to see all the kind of movement. Uh, Adam Schefter did report today that Deshaun Watson still wants out, and he's going to want out regardless of who is hired. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this offseason go forward. All right, so uh, obviously the Senior Bowl is coming up. It's, this is huge. We know that Tom Telesco puts a lot of stock in the Senior Bowl. Uh, and I would expect him to put more stock into the senior bowl this year with, uh, you know, the lack of combine and, and the lack of, you know, having scouts in person. So I think the senior bowl is going to be something that uh, the chargers take advantage of. So let's get to this interview with Ben Fennell, who uh, was gracious enough to share his time with me. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, Chargers fans, so happy to be joined now by Ben Fennell, who does write for the NFL Draft, or, or write about the NFL Draft, rather, for NFL Network. Ben, thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's exciting that we're already here in a draft season with the Senior Bowl a couple of days away. It's just uh, this NFL Draft's a 365 animal, but it's just nice that 28 teams have joined us, four still alive in the playoffs, but a lot of these teams have uh, looked to next year already, so uh, we have to look at the prospects. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very exciting time. And like you mentioned, you know, the senior bowl is coming up and that is, you know, our topic of, of choice today. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on overall. Do you think that that teams will put more stock into the senior bowl this year, given, you know, the amount of COVID opt outs that there were and the combines being different? How do you think teams will value the senior bowl this year in comparison to other years? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily putting more stock in it, but you're going to put more value in the things you can vet. And you just have to understand this entire class and this entire process 
is behind vetting these prospects. And that all started with the lack of pro days last spring. Because while you get some testings and some metrics on the current prospects, that's when you start to acquire information about the next year's prospects. And then a lot of these campuses, we know certain schools had their seasons cut, canceled, postponed. Certain scouts weren't allowed on campuses. So just the understanding who these players are and understanding what we love to say, the limitations of the tape. We can watch every snap of their career on the tape. But who is the man? Who's the teammate? Who's the coworker we're going to get? Who's the person? In order to figure that out, you got to go talk to them. You got to talk to the people around them. And that's when you get all that done at the pro days on campus. And you talk to their strength and conditioning coaches and their academic advisors and their position coaches. A lot of that didn't happen. So getting your, for lack of better words, getting your hands on these kids down at the senior bowl week is just valuable information to learn about the kids and to vet them and to figure out who they are as people. We can figure out who they are on the field. Their football DNA is on the tape, but who are they are as people is such a big uh, kind of piece to the puzzle when, uh, you know, evaluating the prospects. That's a good call. I, you know, I think, you know, we as Chargers fans were so lucky to see what Justin Herbert ha- had done in the senior bowl last year. And I think, you know, they got a really good group of guys this year and headlined kind of by the Alabama players. Um, obviously everybody knows that the chargers need offensive line help. I'm really intrigued by Alex Leatherwood in particular in this offensive line group, but I know a lot of people in terms of draft Twitter, you know, maybe think he's a guard. Where do you, where do you stand on Alex Leatherwood? And do you think he could do enough this week at the senior bowl to warrant consideration at the number 13 overall pick for the chargers? Yeah. I feel like some of these big time program players, get absolutely ripped apart and overanalyzed. <laughs> yeah. And Alex Leatherwood is front and center uh, part of that conversation. He survived two years, uh, two and a half years in the SEC at left tackle for the University of Alabama and didn't have a whole lot of issues against right. the who's who of SEC speed rushers and NFL caliber defensive ends. He handled, you know, everything they asked him to do. Now he's more of a dominant run blocker. He has some issues in pass protection, but he's a strong player. He's got great length. I'm going to let him survive at tackle first before I just say off the cuff, I'm moving you into guard. He's got a lot of reps and a lot of experience at tackle and a lot of good play at tackle. So I think the positional fit and moving these players around is sometimes premature. And if you want to get into some sort of measurement threshold or a length threshold, all that does is prevent you from finding good players because Joe Thomas had short arms. You can survive. So I think the the writing off players just based on their measurement thresholds is a very dangerous game. But I think Leatherwood's done enough to warrant an opportunity at tackle. Now it's just a matter of what draft capital is that warranting. And it's not necessarily that he's a bad player. It's just a deep tackle class. So if he does slide into day two, it's not a negative to Alex Leatherwood. I think it's more of a praise just to how deep this offensive line in particular, the tackle classes. That's a good call. And, you know, this this tackle group and really the whole offensive line group down there in Mobile is going to be a lot of fun. I'm also really intrigued by the small school products that are this time around. You know, you mentioned COVID canceling their seasons. You know, this is going to be the first time that we're seeing uh, a Spencer Brown or a Quinn Miners, I think is how you say it. Uh, What stands out to you about the small school uh, offensive linemen in this class that are going to be down at Mobile? 
Well, they're very interesting. There's three or four in particular. Uh, David Moore is a mauling guard out of Grambling, but the FCS kid, Spencer Brown, as you mentioned, from Northern Iowa, had no season. He was a skinny 190-pound basketball yeah. <laughs> player coming out of high school. I think he played most of his career at like 280. He's been trying to beef up. He's tall. He's long. He's a little raw still. Dylan Radunce, same kind of thing, a little bit undersized at North Dakota State. They did have that one game against Central Arkansas. It's a throwaway game. Don't even really watch it. It's tough to have a one-game <laughs> season. Not going to kill or praise Trey Lance for his performance in that game. Uh, but Radunce is another guy just slightly undersized. A little bit like Ezra Cleveland coming out last year, went to okay. the Vikings, I think, in round two. Um, and then the third guy is the Wisconsin Whitewater, who just got the announcement last week. This guy's a glass-eating, mauling guard, great in a power scheme. He looks to finish defenders. If you could ever get your hands on some Wisconsin Whitewater, he is a nasty, <laughs> nasty player. He's one of those guys I think he's biting ankles at the bottom of the pile. So he might be a guy that get in a couple scraps this week and look to turn some heads with his physicality and intensity. I had no issue writing Richie Incognito down uh, for his player comparison wow. and style fit, just to give a little bit of perspective there uh, to the fans. But I think it's a great opportunity for these kids that didn't have the season. And it's also a bit of a, what are we going to get? I mean, you have to remember the human element to all this stuff. This is 19 to 23 year old young adults in a very turbulent time in their life. So there's a lot of things going on with just becoming adults and handling responsibility and life is happening. We just had a crazy year of COVID and social issues who hasn't seen a weight room? You know, who hasn't seen, you know, the, the field in, in weeks and weeks? Who's a different player? Who lost control of their weight? Who got, you know, addicted to alcohol, drugs, sex, fast food? You have to remember all this life stuff happens. You know, whose girlfriend broke up with them and has taken it hard. The player you maybe met two years ago may be completely different to what you get right now. This NFL draft cycle is going to be so much fun. And so unpredictable. And I feel for some of these kids and some of these people that actually have to make the picks. I think we're in nice cushy spots where we get to kind of watch from the uh, from the second level here yeah. and just, uh, uh, you know, just understand who the players are. But we don't actually have to make any of these selections, but just a very unprecedented uh, kind of draft cycle. So what you're saying is that fans should be a little more patient and understanding in this draft cycle is what I'm gathering. <laughs> and Stephen, I've to when the NBA used to allow players from high school. The yeah. bust factor was just so much greater. You didn't have as deep of a body of work. So everybody kind of looked good in their tape. You're, you know, drafting guys based on potential and upside with a very limited body of work. Some players haven't been on the field for a year. I mean, Walker Little hasn't been on the field in two years. Some of these guys have only played one year of college football, like Micah Parsons or Gregory Rousseau. Am I saying they can't be Hall of Famers? No. Is there a huge bus factor for those players? Absolutely. And the O-line, there's other guys. You know, we mentioned the FCS kids who didn't have seasons. How about James Hudson at Cincinnati? It's a one-year player at Cincinnati. He's a Michigan transfer, converted from the defensive line, only has 11 starts in his career. Finally, he got a bowl game against Georgia. Great. We're going to see him against SEC edge rushers. Gets ejected in the second quarter. Ugh. And then Aziz Oljolari goes on a tear in the second half against this backup tackle. And then Hudson declares for the draft. And it's like, he might be great. He might not be. It's such a small body of work yeah. that you don't know. Uh, so, you know, there might be teams that say, you know what? I see something in this kid. 
And on draft day, there's going to be some surprises, let me tell you. But particularly down at the Senior Bowl, James Hudson, the FCS kids, you know, the Wisconsin Whitewater kid, the Grambling kid, really excited to see what they can do down there. Yeah, that, that was some great stuff there. Uh, and I loved the little reference to Dan Campbell uh, and his press conference that we had yesterday. <laughs> um, let's move to the receiver group because obviously, you know, the Heisen winner, Devontae Smith, his headlining this group. I really am intrigued by Kadarius Tony as well. Uh, who are some other guys in this receiver group that really stand out to you? Yeah, Tony obviously is absolutely electric. He shreds grass on every step of his movements. He is dynamic. He's a guy that kind of makes you sit up in your seat just because he's so violent in yeah. every movement pattern. Um, I love Amari Rogers. Don't overthink this kid. He looks like a Debo Samuel. Great yards after catch every year, just behind Devontae Smith and the leader of Devo- uh, yards after catch in college football. Sage Surratt, I mean, he just joined the Senior Bowl a couple days ago, really productive player at Wake Forest, didn't play this past year. North Carolina Player of the Year in basketball and football. This is a freak athlete. I've compared him to Jordy Nelson as that kind of deceptive speed, a really good all-around athlete. He's going to turn some heads out there. Shai Smith at South Carolina, he's had quarterback issues through most of his career there. He was buried behind Brian Edwards and Debo Samuel. Jake Bentley was supposed to be the guy, and then they have Holinsky last year, and then Holinsky loses the job this year to a true freshman. His career was all over the place, but he might be an Emmanuel Sanders style of player. When he does get the ball in his hands, he is fast, really good yards after catch, really sharp route running, competitive at the catch point. So he might be a guy that has a better NFL career, a lot like the way Emmanuel Sanders came out of SMU a couple years ago. And then these big guys, I know it's kind of a dying breed in the NFL to get these six, five receivers because they don't often separate well. And um, it's tough to just be a physical presence in the NFL when everybody's a physical presence, but Nico Collins at Michigan, he's a height, weight, speed guy, just like Chase Claypool was last year, just like miles Boykin was the year before he's six, four, and runs a legit four, four. So he's a guy that might be able to beast some smaller corners down in the red zone. And Trayvon Grimes is similar. Not as thick coming out of Florida. He's actually an Ohio State transfer, but he's 6'5 and can run. So he's a guy maybe in some one-on-ones or he just looks like an absolute specimen out there. So long story short, a lot of shapes, sizes. You got your yak guys, your gadget guys, your slot guys like Shy Smith, your height, weight, speed guys. Whatever you're looking for, there's kind of a style for you in this class and in particular down at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Nico Collins has been someone that I feel like, you know, you mentioned Shai Smith's quarterback journey. You know, Nico Collins' quarterback (laughs) journey has not been helped very much. I mean, the interesting thing, you get Jim Harbaugh. Can he not sit in some senior high school quarterback's living room and sell the program? Going after (laughs) transfers year after year after year. Nothing but transfers, whether it's Rudock coming over from Iowa and Shea Patterson and – you know, it's just like I get this guy, get somebody, a steady quarterback out there in Michigan. I'm just really excited for them just to have some consistency at the quarterback position. Like you're saying, Nico Collins, front and center of uh, certainly one that didn't benefit from those rotating quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's shift to the tight ends now. I think a lot of people know who Hunter Long is, obviously, but, <laughs> you know, I'd be lying if I said that I've heard of, you know, Quentin Morris or Noah Gray. Uh, what do you make of this tight end group down in Mobile? You know, it's not the deepest tight end class in general. We all know about Kyle Pitts and Fryermuth. Seems like he's the best in-line guy. And Brevin Jordan's probably that Evan Ingram H-back type. This is kind of a coming out party for a lot of these guys that the country doesn't know. 
Uh, Quentin Morris is kind of a Gerald Everett athletic type, like uh, down at the Rams coming out of South Alabama. The two I'm interested in, you kind of hit it. Hunter Long at Boston College, one of the most well-rounded tight ends in the class, was the leading receiver last year in Boston College and this year in two completely different schemes. Last year was Steve Adazio, run the ball 100 times with A.J. Dillon, condensed formations, a lot of stuff off play action. He had to block in line. And then this year, Jeff Halfley comes over from Ohio State. Let's throw the ball down the field. Let's spread it out a little bit. And he still was productive. So he's shown you he can do a lot of things, and he's a tough kid, has put his hand in the turf, which seems to be a dying thing in college football of tight ends that can play in line. But the one I'm excited about, how about Kenny Yaboa? At Ole Miss, he's a Temple transfer. I think he was the highest graded blocking tight end last year by PFF. Then he comes down in the SEC, start to throw him the ball a little bit more off play action. Had some really nice catch and run opportunities. If Irv Smith Jr. at Alabama goes in the second round and Josiah DeGuara goes in the third round to the Packers, that's Kenny Yaboa. He's that H-back type, kind of a move tight end, but he blocks really well. He pass protects really well, catches the ball really well. Just seems like that breed is becoming a little bit more popular in the NFL to have a tight end. That's a little tough, but I need you to be able to move too. whether it's the quick game yards after catch or maybe stretching the seam vertically. I think Kenny Yaboa is going to be one of the uh, the darlings down there next week. All right. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, Kenny Yaboa, definitely someone to keep an eye on. Uh, let's go to the defensive line group. I'm a big fan of Patrick Jones uh, as well as Levi Onzerike. I think I'm saying that right. Oh, you got it. You got it. There we go. Um, what do you make of this uh, pass rushing group? It seems like it's a really good group this year. You know, Carlos Basham is there in there as well. Uh, who stands out to you among the defensive line? Yeah, Onzerike is really interesting. I think he opted out this past year, but he's played up and down the D line at Washington. He's kind of looks like a three tech, but he's played zero nose tackle. He's played off the end, really active, really loose. Kind of a thicker version of like a Jerry Tillery uh, coming out of Notre Dame, a guy that doesn't necessarily have a positional fit, but just an athletic terror in there. Uh, is probably a better pass rusher than anything. But then the edge rushers, all sorts of shapes and sizes. And, you know, Carlos Basham is the most explosive one, but he's stiff. It's a lot like Rashawn Gary. He's not a guy that's just going to turn the high side corner and be all bendy and loose like we like to see out of our Von Millers and the speed rushers. And that goes right into the other heavy edges like Rashad Weaver, Patrick Jones. They're not the sexiest pass rushers, but these are guys that are thick. They're 260, 270 pounds. They play the run exceptionally well. So what does that mean? You can play on first down in the NFL. You're not a liability against the run. I got news for you. Not every NFL team runs on every first down. So in order to be productive and get high production, you have to be on the field. And that means being able to stop the run and being an early down player. So there's some guys that may not look great in one-on-one drills like Rashad Weaver, Patrick Jones, those pit defensive ends, but they're really good, strong football players. And I think we get a little excited sometimes about the bendy, loose pass rushers that can run around tackles. And there's a couple of those too. Shaka Tony at Penn State, great first step. He's going to turn the corner on every tackle. Quincy Roche down at Miami, another Temple transfer, but he's 235 pounds. I don't know if I can play him on early downs, but I'm getting him on the field every third down I get a chance to. So, you know, how you're going to use these guys at the next level, and not every one of these bodies is going to be for every scheme out there. 
So there's might be some coaches that have some extra eyes on certain players rather than others. So figuring out who fits your scheme is just as important. Yeah, absolutely. And in that same mold, you know, I wasn't super into like the fit in Los Angeles because of the scheme, but you know, now they're hiring uh, Brandon Staley potentially moving to a three, four. And so Hamilcar Rashad has been someone that I've had to go back and watch because I feel like he's a, a nice fit at outside linebacker. Uh, what do you make of, of Rashad Jr. out of Oregon State? He's an interesting player. He's another guy that fits that mold of Tony and Quincy Roche because he's 230, 235 pounds. He's a dip around you guy. So he's not a guy that wants to stack blocks with his hands, play with a lot of violence. He wants to shoot gaps and get around guys. Really good anticipation for backfield action. I think he led the country in TFLs last year. So he's a guy that found his way into a lot of backfields. But when you put on the tape this year, not nearly as productive. I think he tried to get stronger and tried to be more of a point of attack player, but it's not who he is. He's an athletic yeah. guy that wins with that first step. Um, so he's one of these guys that's probably in the mold of an outside linebacker than a defensive end. And I think categorizing a lot of these guys is important to do that. Quincy Roche is another one. He's an outside linebacker all day long. Doesn't mean you can't be productive in the NFL. We've seen Von Millers, we've seen Harold Landry's at that height, weight, speed go in the second round and be, you know, decent football players. These guys like Janarius Robinson at Florida State, like five star. There's certain guys whose college careers just didn't go great. You know, we mentioned the Nico Collins of the world and guys that had quarterback issues. Florida State had some issues, let me tell you guys. (laughs) But this guy is a specimen. He shows up and wakes up in the morning with some things you can't teach. And that's what the senior bowl is all about too. You know what? Maybe I can show you some things I didn't get an opportunity to down at my college program, or maybe my defensive coordinator moved me around. Then I didn't feel comfortable at a certain spot. And this is an opportunity for guys to kind of detach themselves from their programs. And that's the big conversation with some of the big names, Mac Jones. You want to detach him from the university of Alabama. You think he had a nice cushy scheme, the run game, the RPOs, all those weapons. Let's remove him from that and then evaluate it. So Mac Jones had a great career. We want to remove him. Janarius Robinson, horrendous career. and We want to remove him. (laughs) So it's kind of different styles and different reasons, but the same kind of general philosophy. That's great stuff, man. Uh, You know, this has been really a a great experience for me. And, you know, I was going to end with Mac Jones just out of curiosity. Obviously, the Chargers don't need a quarterback. Yeah, we could could finish off Mac Jones. He's an interesting guy to talk about. Yeah, so I've seen some, you know, obviously, Phil Rivers just retired. Some people have said that maybe the Colts should go explore the Mac Jones Avenue. A lot of people said that Steelers should maybe do that. Uh, They obviously just signed Dwayne Haskins. If... Mac Jones does go down there in Mobile, and like you said, he separates himself from his team, and he has a great week in Mobile. Do you think that he'll be a first-round pick, or, or what do you make of Mac Jones uh, and his evaluation? You know, the interesting thing with Mac Jones is everybody wants these athletic quarterbacks, the guys with mobility that can play out of structure, create when nothing's there. You hear arm talent all the time. You want a guy that can play loose and has a strong arm. Mac Jones doesn't check any of those boxes. (laughs) So it's a bit of a conundrum as far as evaluating prospects to say, well, that's where you take all the first round quarterbacks, those guys with all those tools and all the physical traits. The question you have to ask is, how are you using them and can you win with him? And we've seen Jared Goff go first overall in the draft. He isn't that different from a Jared Goff. He's going to play within structure. A lot of defined read stuff. 
doesn't have a wow arm, but enough of an arm, incredible placement and accuracy. He needs to play in a scheme that's like that. If you put Mac Jones in an air raid scheme and say, go be a superhero, go play a hero ball for us, you're going you're gonna to be sorely disappointed. And I think as we're seeing more QB-friendly offenses, which used to be such a no-no word, QB-friendly, why are you helping him out? Why is he, <laughs> yeah. a, why is he a product of the scheme? Why are you using college stuff and spacing concepts? That used to be such a negative connotation to your offensive scheme. Now it's like, uh, why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we helping our quarterback? Why aren't we making people's lives easier? And it's so funny to look at a Phillip Rivers because for most of his career, it was hero ball. It was, there there were so many concepts where this is the least quarterback friendly system out there. That's what Tom Brady's doing down in Tampa. All his vertical shots and down the field stuff, it's hero ball. There's nothing that helps Tom Brady. Nothing's off play action. There's no pre-snap motion. There's no, you know, uh, manipulation of personnel and play call sequencing. This is what Marino also did for most of his career, just hero ball from the pocket. But long story short, Mac Jones, you can win with this guy, but how you use him and making sure he's in a quarterback friendly scheme is going to be really important. He's won a lot of games. He's accurate. He's got a lot of poise. Um, He's got the tools and and the mental makeup. It's just a matter of what are you going to ask him to do at the next level? Yeah, that that was really spot on. And Philip Rivers, man, you know, outside of like after like 2010, it was just like you said, it was all hero ball, and and it was fun to watch. But obviously, didn't <laughs> oh, it's all, oh, that, that hero ball is always great, especially from Rivers, <laughs> because he will wow you with some of those hero ball throws and plays from the pocket and anticipation. And, and he's one of those vets where it's like, you know what? I ain't holding this ball in the pocket. You guys better get open. I'm going to put it where it needs to be, but I'm not going to be a sitting duck back here. And sometimes those veteran quarterbacks are fun to watch too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ben, this has been fantastic. Hopefully uh, our listeners have been able to learn about some guys. Cause I feel like we did mention a lot of guys that were not super well-known, you know, obviously we talked about the Alabama guys, but uh, thank you so much for this information, Ben, and uh, we look forward to covering your work. What do you have? Obviously, the Senior Bowl is coming up, but outside of that, what are you working on these days? Yeah, so I'm uh, back over with NFL Network, working on Senior Bowl coverage for next week, um, whatever semblance of the combine we might have next month, and then on to the NFL draft. I do a lot of research and video for our lead draft analyst, Daniel Jeremiah. I also do film breakdowns over at the Athletic uh, Wisconsin on the Green Bay Packers. They might have one game left, maybe two games left. We'll see after Sunday. Um, And then we're fully in a draft mode. So we'll see what teams join us in the draft season after Sunday night. Uh, But it's the gift that keeps on giving. I love doing this stuff all year round. It's just fun that this time of year, it seems like the rest of the country joins us. And (laughs) and it's my job to catch everybody up with uh, everything we've seen uh, since you guys been gone. So it's an exciting, (laughs) exciting time. I love that. Draft season never stops for some of us. For others, it's just (laughs) after the season. All right, Ben, thank you so much. Chargers fans, make sure you follow Ben at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. Uh, I know a lot of you have talked to me about film breakdowns and things like that. Ben does great stuff with film film breakdowns and, and, and tweets and stuff like that. So make sure and give him a follow. Ben, have a good one, man. We look forward to seeing your work at the Senior Bowl and beyond. Take care. All right. So thanks again to Ben uh, for taking his time out. You know, I, I love the energy that he was able to bring to this interview. And, and, you know, it's so impressive to hear these guys just write off these names and have all these scouting reports and things like that. I will say, you know, after I talked with him on Friday, I did go back a little bit and watch some film on Alex Leatherwood. 
Uh, I would not be surprised if his draft stock goes way up this week uh, and potentially, you know, garner some consideration for the Chargers at 13. Um, but definitely we'll uh, talk about that later on. So let's get to some of these awards. Um, like I said, we did push this back because of the coaching stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let's let's start with uh, most improved because I think this is the one that we might have different answers on. Uh, Alex, we'll start with you. Who is your who was your most improved charger for 2020? Uh, hard for me to not say Michael Davis. Uh, I just think you know he, you know, before he was obviously a decent uh, CB2, but I think this year he really elevated himself uh, in terms of tackling. I think he was a lot better uh, than he was in previous years uh, in terms of coverage. He finally turns his head around and doesn't draw as many pass interference penalties. And he just has that speed and that body to, to make things work. And, um, you know, it's why to me, other than Hunter Henry, I think he's the top free agent priority for the Chargers. Uh, to get a deal done there. And I'm, I'm curious to see how someone uh, like Brandon Staley would use him. He was just a really solid all year. I, I can only think of maybe one bad game he had. Uh, and he was really solid when the team needed him the most. Uh, like in the Buffalo game, you know, we've seen how Stefan Diggs went off on people all year. Uh, and they went into Buffalo with no Casey Hayward and Michael Davis. And that secondary shut Stefan Diggs kind of out of the game. And that was a really impressive effort to me. So to me, I think uh, Michael Davis is my most improved player of 2020. And I'm super curious to see what kind of contract he gets. And I hope he's a charger going forward. Well, he's the only defensive back starter that Staley did not mention in his press conference on accident. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) I don't read too much into that, but oops. oops. Yeah. Um, Great pick. Um, Yeah. I think that's, kind of the guy most of us would pick honestly but i'm going to go for the sake of picking something different i went with jerry tillery um obviously most improved does not mean most valuable player you know to be honest the only way tillery could have gone from his rookie season is up because he had he had 10 pressures eight tackles and five penalties you know your penalty count shouldn't be half your pressure total um you know but this year at least early on he looked much different against the Bengals. he just developed you know secondary pass rush moves he looked faster against the chiefs um, and the Panthers, and we saw that as well. But we also have to do some really good work in the run game. He just looked like he got stronger this offseason. So, you know, Jerry Tiller was not steering interior off- defensive lineman year one in the run game. So, you know, while the final stat line of 35 pressures, three sacks, and 21 tackles, it's not great. And there's like seven penalties. Eh. Um, it's, a, it's still a nice step forward for a guy who had no offseason to make that leap yeah. forward. I will say a special shout out, though. This is not going to go. This really doesn't make sense, but it does. I have to give Joey Bosa credit for being some of the most improved this offseason. I know it's like, oh, he didn't have a bunch of numbers or whatever. And how good, <laughs> how much better could he have been? Well, first of all, his pass rush productivity was great this year. It's better than any year I think he's had except for his rookie year when no one knew to double team him yet. Um, there's just something he did this year where it's, it's, you watch it in the mic'd up game where he, against the Bills, not only was he dominating that game, but he was letting them know that he was dominating them as well. And they just hadn't seen that from him before. So, there's something in there that we didn't really get to see all the way through this year. And I think he took a really big step forward. Is he the most improved? No, but I, I really think he actually did improve this year, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. I think, you know, traditionally when you think of most improved, you think of someone like, you know, uh, Jerry Tillery or, or Michael Davis, but you know, the Joey Bosa leap from, you know, really good to, you know, if he hadn't missed the four games, I think he probably would be a, a first team all pro. 
Um, you know, I think that leap was, was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I thought about going with Michael Davis as well. I think that definitely merits consideration. I'm going to go with Sam Tevy though, because Sam Tevy went from terrible to serviceable. And that was all that we could have asked for <laughs> Sam Tevy. Um, you know, I know that his pressure totals were not great. I don't have the, the exact number right in front of me, but you know, mm-hmm. we saw Sam Tevy allow more than six or seven. We saw Sam Tevy allow more than six pressures four times last year. And he didn't do that once this season. So, you know, the pressures were down. The The run game blocking was up. I thought he, he did a fantastic job. I think the what they were trying to do in terms of outside zone stuff fits Sam Tevy really well. Uh, and so I'm going to go with Sam Tevy just because, you know, they needed him to make a, a, a leap from bad to serviceable. And he did it from switching. You know, he switched from right tackle to left tackle. And that's not easy. You know, there aren't many players who can go from right tackle, which is considered, you know, the less important tackle position to left tackle, which is considered the more important tackle position and improve. So uh, I'm going to go with Sam Tevy here. And we've picked three guys. One might not be on the team. <laughs> That's Davis. Tevy might not be on the team. And Tilly might not even fit well on this defense. So there we go. There we go. Three most improved yeah. guys might not even have much of a role. <laughs> season or even be on the team yay yeah that's gonna be really interesting i would imagine that davis is back i don't know about tevy but i think davis will be back yeah um all right let's move to defensive player of the year i think this is going to be unanimous because you know joey bosa like tyler mentioned just a dominant dominant force this season and he was never really healthy like he played with one arm against new orleans and still had four or five pressures in a sack and he had two concussions uh, so defensive player of the year, Joey Bosa is pretty easy for me. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's really is the answer. I think there was only one truly deserving guy, and then there's some guys you could like vote for, I guess, but they're not really they're not on the same tier. Um, I will shout out Kenneth Murray because there is one rookie linebacker. Now I would have also picked uh, Joseph, but I picked Murray because I figured someone else picked Joseph. There's only one rookie linebacker in the NFL this year who played 80% of the possible snaps in a finishing with the second best tackling efficiency number in the whole league among all starters, you know, the third best among any rookie linebacker since Telesco has been here as the GM, you know, meanwhile, the other guy, Patrick queen missed the most tackles in the league and had the worst rookie linebacker tackling efficiency rating. Like since pro football focus has that data, you know, so what's insane to me is Murray did that, you know, without James, without his front four healthy all season, without tranquil with Gus Bradley as his coordinator, no off season. And he's a guy who plays, you know, played more snaps on defense than anyone else on the team, you know, as a rookie, you know, no preseason, no time to get his body into NFL shape. And I don't even think he was on the injury report once, you know, so a hundred plus tackles with the second best tackling efficiency in the league for a linebacker. Like he gets, he gets my vote there. Obviously I give it to Bosa, but it's a really impressive rookie season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Murray is definitely someone who deserves some credit. Uh, but yeah, the, the word just has to go to Bosa. Um yeah. It's just insane that even through all these injuries, you know, I was looking up, oh, was Bosa really that great this season? Uh, he was 0.2% um, behind Aaron Donald in pass rush win rate, who is uh, obviously the best, uh, you know, lineman in the league in the last 10 years, probably. So, you know, he's just still really great and people still undervalue him. I think in terms of like these, you know, who's the best pass rusher discussions. Cause you know, TJ Watt has kind of surpassed Bosa in a way nationally, uh, in terms of attention, but Joey Bosa is still like a unanimous, like top three guy in the league, in my opinion. So you have to give it to him. I mean, the Bills game was like <laughs> insane. That arguably is the best game of his career. Yeah. Uh, and 
I think what he just did really well this season was a lot of what Tyler said, right? Uh, just like letting the defense know that he can get there. You know, we saw him um, get stifled before in some games, like the Patriots playoff game where they just kind of ate him alive uh, with uh, Dante Scarnecchia, uh, offensive line coaching. So uh, I think this was really the year where he kind of unleashed and he didn't have a lot of help. I mean, the defensive line was kind of uh, a mess all year. Uh, Melvin Ingram obviously was playing hurt and then hit IR. Um, So, you know, it was a challenging year for him to get guys, you know, that were coming in and out of the lineup. And obviously he himself was in and out of the lineup at points. So for him to have the year he had and to have the impact he had to still have the pass rushing ability he had, uh, it was just incredibly impressive. Yeah, I cannot wait to see how Brandon Staley schemes up one-on-ones for Joey Bosa because, you know, TJ Watt, he's amazing, but he, like, never gets double teamed at all. So, you know, I can't wait to see what uh, Joey Bosa, what is in store for Joey Bosa under Brandon Staley. All right, let's do uh, Team Offensive Player of the Year. I'm going to say a caveat of not including Justin Herbert here because I assume that he's going to win the other award. Uh, so let's do non-Justin Herbert, Offensive Player of the Year. Tyler, who's your guy? Uh, I went with Hunter Henry. It's not his fault he couldn't finish the season, and I feel bad because this is going to be the first time he played 16 games as a star- as a starter, I think, ever. Yeah. You know, he he broke his own personal best in receptions and probably would have had uh, you know, 70 or more on the year. For perspective, Antonio Gates only had 70 or more receptions once the entire 2010s decade. You know, Henry being, you know, seventh in drop rate among tight ends, which is funny because TJ Hawkinson and Evan Ingram both made the Pro Bowl and had 15 drops combined, but that's that's NFC, so different story. <laughs> you know, but so Henry only had three um, on a pretty comparable, you know, targets and per game number. It just seemed like, you know, early on, maybe lost in the middle, but definitely later on, that he and Herbert just had this really great chemistry. Yeah. And there's no way you can take that away from Herbert this offseason. I, I actually think he's a priority over Davis, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I, I for him to take, personally, I don't know how the snap count works, but when Virgil Green went down, it seemed like Hunter Henry had to come in and kind of just be a little bit more of a blocker, take on more of that responsibility. So his numbers weren't quite as big as they could have been. But for him to still finish the career best in receptions, um, really impressive. So I could have gone Keenan Allen. I think someone else is going to go Keenan Allen, so I didn't go Keenan Allen. Um, it probably The most efficient guy was Austin Eckler. But I think overall, if I don't go Allen, and obviously I can't go Herbert, I'm going Henry. Yeah, I'm going to be the guy that goes uh, Keenan Allen. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it was just an insane season. I mean, he really only played 13 games. He played in the Raiders game, but obviously he was kind of used as a decoy. And, and you look at the numbers, uh, 100 receptions, still even missing three games he put up that number, uh, and 992 yards just short of 1,000. Like, the dude was just uh, insane. And he really just had a really great connection with Herbert, which I didn't quite expect him to have uh he obviously had four 100 plus yard games uh the output against the jets was like his best game in years uh, obviously we're talking about the jets secondary but like that was just a monster 145 yard output 16 receptions uh just you know nothing you can do about it and i think that just kind of summarizes his year and for for a lot of the receivers it was you know trying to find their connections with herbert we talked about mike williams and um, him trying to sort of find where he fit with Herbert. And, you know, you have guys like Taron Johnson and Jalen Guyton that, you know, found something with him, but 
Keenan Allen all year was was Herbert's guy. Like, you know, just every time. Sometimes he was guilty of looking at him too much. Uh, but it, it was just he had an insane year. And like, I, I can't believe that he really missed three games and still uh, finished with 100 receptions. That's just um, insane production. And he's earning uh, every bit of that extension he got. He really is, man. And right up until the injury, him and Stephon Diggs were going back and forth with the reception lead. And obviously, you know, the injury, you know, held him back. But, you know, his full 16 game pace with Justin Herbert, it was beat like, you know, Michael Thomas type stuff. And so, yeah, that would have been insane as well. So I think Keenan Allen gets this award for me as well. I'm, I'm glad that Tyler mentioned Austin Eckler, though. Um, because Austin Eckler, to me, you know, if he hadn't torn his hamstring up and had just this freak injury, his his full season pace was was just over a thousand yards and just under a thousand receiving yards, which would have been an insane, insane type of efficient season. And so I think Austin Eckler deserves mention there as well. Um, all right, team MVP has to be Justin Herbert, man. Yeah, it's it, Justin just, Herbert, yep. it, it just has to be um, the way that he Brandon State. I love the way that Brandon State has been talking about him. And how he mm-hmm. came in in the COVID off season and had five minutes before his first start, and then had one of the best seasons of any rookie ever. And so, I'm a little, I'm still a little bummed that he didn't get that yardage record. You know, yeah, um, I would have loved to see that. But you know, all in all, the the crazy amount of records that he had, including the touchdowns, total touchdowns, most uh, 300 yard games, and all this stuff, and you know, just couldn't be happier for someone because he's just like the most humble guy, like. He's been golfing at Pebble Beach with his fullback and like, you know, just <laughs> just casual. And he's just such a low key dude. Uh, so easy to root for and obviously well deserving of the team MVP this season. Yeah, I mean, he's just uh, perfect. It was this year and like we keep saying it and Staley kept saying it, too. But like to come into this year with no, you know, first team reps and no off season and basically, you know, just basically zoom calls and, you know, getting called in uh, immediately at the start of the game uh, in Kansas city and to go toe to toe in that game with the best quarterback in the league. (laughs) That's just some uh, crazy stuff that no one could have thought that when he was drafted in April, that that was the kind of stuff he would be doing. Um, and he really dragged this team to a, a seven and nine finish. Like I, I can't yeah. even imagine. And I, you know, I, everyone knows I like Tyrod Taylor, but I, based on how this team played, like I can't imagine that this team would be better than three and thirteen, maybe with Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. Um, just, just you know, Justin Herbert, you know, carried them with his you know deep ball. Uh, just did a lot of great things. Uh, you know, and, and the most the most promising thing going forward was just his reads. Um, the fact that he could just process things way better than he did in college. And it was done with, you know, coaching staff that we kind of question when it comes to Steichen and Lynn and how well they were for him. So, you know, if he gets a, you know, a coaching staff that better suits him, like imagine, you know, how good he can be and how much he can take it to the next level. So without a doubt uh, it's Justin Herbert, you know, in the weeks where, you know, it was painful to watch. He made it incredibly less painful to watch um, than maybe it would have been. So it's got to be Justin Herbert for team MVP. I think the team could have won, I don't know, five games with Tyron Taylor, maybe, but they they could have won some games with the way the defense is playing week two. But with the way yeah. that the defense fell apart and the special teams were so bad, yep, there's right. no way that I don't like it would have been 
uh, pretty dreadful. So for Herbert to come in and give us that life was an uh, unexpected surprise for sure. In my book, if I'm watching film on Herbert and not just going off the box score, I give Herbert six game winning drives in 15 games. You know, there's a three towards yeah. the end of the year uh, that we all know about, <clears throat> but I also give him, you know, the throws to get a win versus Carolina, the echo just drops, you know, the throw to get him a win against the saints, but Badgley misses, you know, and then two touchdown passes that were dropped against the Raiders, you know, in their first matchup, you know, sitting here right now, as we're looking at prospects and preparing for the draft, I don't feel one bad bit at all that they're picking 13th because they won four games in a row. There's, there's yeah. just so much hope moving forward uh, that Staley can take a seven and nine team and win even just two more games, you know, and boom, maybe they're in the playoffs again. You know what, what I want to take away those three game winning drives at the end, you know, from Herbert to not be able to, or to be able to draft Sewell. No, <clears throat> not at all. <laughs> now I'm coughing. <laughs> so Steven, go ahead. I'm getting emotional about Justin Herbert, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Steven. <laughs> No, I think that's right. You know, and I think a lot of fans concerns about like them winning games was, was due to them keeping Anthony Lynn and the coaching staff. And clearly, you know, they didn't. And so I, I, I think that experience, you know, we're going to talk about best moment in a minute. Um, I think that experience for Justin Herbert was way more valuable than losing the games and, you know, being hundred percent confident that Anthony Lynn was gone instead of, you know, 75% or 60% or whatever. And, you know, at 13, you know, like Alex said, there's still a lot of great players in his, like Alex mm-hmm. said in his video, there are a lot of great players that this team can get and, and draft. So uh, I think fans tend to overvalue draft position. So give me that experience. Give me those game-winning drives for him. Uh, and I think that was the right decision. So, all right, let's talk about best moment. Uh, I think, you know, there are several ones for this team, specifically about Justin Herbert. Um, obviously, his first start, you know, is an amazing moment. For me, I'm going to go best moment. The I was in, I was in. (laughs) Yeah. Because to me, like that was when Justin knew like, okay, I know how to win. I know how to carry this team. I know what I have to do to be an elite quarterback. And and you could just see it like over the next few games that that Mm -hmm. moment, the I was in moment game winning touchdown was something that made it it clicked for him. And, And I think that, that moment is going to give him a ton of confidence going into the next season. So the I was in moment is my favorite moment of the 2020 season. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with the Jags game uh, with Justin Herbert because that was getting his first win uh, as a Charger. There have just been so many weeks where it's like, holy shit, it's happening again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and even in that Jags game, you have like <laughs> uh, they, they blocked they blocked a punt. And the Jags got a touchdown and took the lead, I think, in the third quarter. And it's like, oh, man, is this really happening again? Then you have the touchdown to Virgil Green, which was an awesome throw. Uh, There are just so many awesome throws that he made in that game that I didn't know at that point that he quite had the ability to make. So that was just um, a a super impressive game where, you know, obviously that was a great Keenan Allen game. Uh, and really a great game all around for the Chargers offensively. I think they put up 39 points. So that was really like, okay, this is Justin Herbert, and he's here now. And, you know, that game was so good that it made certain Chargers podcasts do podcasts again, right? Um, so, um, you know, oh, it was it was a really great game all around. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's a great game. Um, I'll give you some moments that I just wrote down just because, you know, when, when Gabe Neighbors scored versus Denver, this isn't just like a personal thing. 
Everyone just added me on Twitter because they think I hate him. I don't hate him. Well, I just do don't want him to exist him. on the Chargers. Like, I don't. I just hate his existence. I don't hate him. So it's different. Um, another one, just that Jags game. The fact that I didn't watch a game for the fifth year in a row because I was taking my girlfriend out for her birthday and the Chargers won for the fifth time in a row. I think it's pretty funny. Um, I was going to pick Steven's uh, moment because, yeah, you know, Herbert – yeah, he led the game-winning drive against the Falcons, but you know Badgley kicks that field goal. Herbert yeah. was the guy who got in against the Raiders, and to have that moment and him just like realize, like, yeah, I was in, like, yeah, let's go win. This is awesome. You know, I think that's so great. So the only other one I would pick is Herbert's first snap because we're all sitting there like, okay, here we go, Tyrod Taylor, you know, watching all this film, and he got his rib injury or whatever, whatever. And also, you get the notification from Daniel Popper. Justin Herbert is in at quarterback. And we were like, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> you know, and everyone was freaking out. Like, did, well, there was a whole debacle of, you know, Tyro Taylor was too scared of losing his job or paying Patrick Mahomes. No, he got stabbed in the ribs. But, you know, that's another topic <laughs> for another time. You know, and then he goes down the field and, and scores a touchdown. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the most, like, we'll never forget that. Whatever happened this season, we're never going to forget Justin Herbert's first start. Yeah, I think that's a great call. And, you know, that for that game, like I remember how unexcited I was after that Cincinnati game and and <laughs> yeah. wanting like we were about to watch a banged up Tyrod Taylor who like clearly was not <laughs> his mobile self against the Bengals. And it was like, oh, man, like they're going to get yeah. raced by the Chiefs like this isn't going to be pretty. And then Justin Herbert, like I didn't even get the notification because I turned my phone on do not disturb on game days mm. so I can just like focus in on the game. Yeah. And then Jim Nance and Tony Romo are freaking out. They're like, wait, Justin Herbert's in the game. Like, what is going on? And I was, like, freaking out right with them. So, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. that was a crazy moment. And that throw to Keenan Allen right over the fingertips of yep. Tyron Matthew, I think is still, like, my favorite Justin Herbert throw. Because mm -hmm. it was that moment where I was like, I was like, okay, like, mm -hmm. this dude can spin it. This dude can be a legitimate starter in this league. Um, and so I, I think – that throw is really what sold me on like, you know, I did my, I'm sorry. I was wrong about Justin Herbert video, like basically <laughs> almost exclusively like because of that throw. And then you know, he just kept on building and building and building. And the touchdown throw to Keenan against the Panthers was insane. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then the touchdown against the saints to Keenan Allen was insane. And then, you know, the Buccaneers throws. And so, uh, man, Justin Herbert, just, he was the bright spot of 2020 and I couldn't be more happy to see where this team goes with him. Uh, and Brandon Staley. Yep. You mentioned the Bucks game too, and I think that was kind of an underrated uh, moment for him to throw to Kitan. Just uh, you know, I think to start. Oh, it was uh, Tyron Johnson too uh, yeah. in that game. That was sort of his coming out party. Um, I think that was just an underrated game for him because he was coming off a sort of bad Carolina game, uh, yeah. and then for him to come out and you know be like, oh no, I'm going to go back and forth with Tom Brady for four quarters. Yeah. Um, that was just a, a really awesome moment. And you see where Tom Brady is today <laughs> playing in the NFC title game. So uh, I thought that that was just a really cool moment for him. And that sort of was a game that reset the pace uh, after sort of a bad outing in Carolina. Yeah, yeah we absolutely. all thought it was, sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. No, we just, I mean, based on what I saw against the Chiefs and the Panthers, like Herbert looked good for a rookie, mm -hmm. you know, but we never really, okay, right. like he looks good, but it's a guy who had no preseason, no offseason, just showed up, you know, he looks fine. And then he goes like, we're like, he's going to get killed against the Bucks. There's no way he's going to be doing it. And then he's 70 yards, <laughs> yeah. 50 yards. Like what the hell? Yeah. I mean, that, that really changed the narrative for Justin Herbert, not just a, 
exciting rookie, but like a legit NFL quarterback at that point. Um, so yeah, good call on that game, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. So any other thoughts on, on, uh, anything we've talked about today before we wrap up today's show? Uh, do we want to do Super Bowl picks? Uh, who y'all got? You know, right now, obviously, that we're doing this before the game. I'm going to go Packers and Bills. I think, you know, Antoine Winfield's absence today, which was just confirmed, is going to be a huge loss for the Buccaneers. Mm. And I know the, the Chiefs are the Chiefs, man. And I just – Bills defense and offense – like, the Bills are just, like, a really special team right now. And so I'm going to go Packers mm. and Bills. Uh, and then Packers over Bills in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. I, so, yeah, I'm going to go with the Packers. I don't see Brady keeping up, though. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Brady won today uh, just because that's who he is in these title games. But yep. I'm going to go because it's in Lambeau. I think this is a really huge game for Aaron Rodgers. And that offense has just been like impossible to stop recently. Like, you know, if you, you know, Devontae Adams uh, and even some of the other guys like Aaron Jones who have been playing like incredibly well. Um, so I think it's going to be the Packers and the Chiefs. And I'm going to give the edge to the Packers. I think, uh, yeah, Steven said, I think Rodgers gets his uh, second Super Bowl. I think when we first talked about this, I had Raven Seahawks. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) That didn't work. I think we had the Chiefs in the AFC Championship at least. Um, I was surprised the Packers turned the... I mean, Rodgers threw like 26 touchdowns last year and he had 50 this year. So I don't know what the heck happened, but they've become so unstoppable. I will go Bills, Packers... Uh, I root for the AFC. Go Bills. Bills are going to beat the Packers in the Super Bowl. There we go. Yeah, something different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was looking back uh, at that tweet that I sent out, you know, way back in, in August about Super Bowl picks. And like 80% of the people that responded had the Ravens. And I had the Ravens in the Super Bowl as well. Yeah. So. Rightfully so. Uh, that that hype train was fun um and it looked like, it looked like for a minute that they had figured it back out um and then yeah just that win in buffalo uh you know just stopped them dead in their tracks what were you gonna say alex oh, i was just gonna say I, I think when i replied to that tweet i had niners seahawks in the title game and the niners just completely fell apart unfortunately due to injuries and yeah. the seahawks uh, let russ cook and burn down the entire kitchen uh, at the same time <laughs> so yeah no um the ravens almost made it but yeah i think i'm one for four on my <laughs> championship game calls so yeah yeah and for those who are uh, interested, the Packers do run the Kyle Shanahan offense, and that is why Aaron Rodgers is so unstoppable because it is the most quarterback-friendly offense out there. So uh, if you're ever wondering why I want Justin Herbert in the Kyle Shanahan offense, watch today's game and watch what Aaron Rodgers does and then watch what he does in the Super Bowl. Um, all right, guys, thanks so much for joining us today. We, we are so grateful for your support. Um, like I said, make sure you follow us and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, Alex is going to be putting out a video for our Patreon supporters, and I'm going to be doing one of those as well next week. Uh, so don't worry about you guys. We do have you covered on that end as well. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.